turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 for just a moment this morning. I'm sitting here reminiscing about our Easter service 30 years ago. It sure wasn't like this. I was the special singing. Our choir had not been formed as yet. And uh, boy, we've just been blessed today by all the music. Brother Sean and the choir has done such a good job. Uh, the pianist, both of them, has done a great job. But uh, in your Bibles, today is the consummation of the Passion Week. Our pastor, Brother Andrew, and Brother Sean put together the idea that this week we would celebrate. Passion Week, last Sunday, we talked about the triumphant entry uh, week before Calvary. Then on Wednesday evening, uh, it being the time of the crucifixion, not Friday, Wednesday. It's hard to get three days and three nights from Friday night till Sunday. And uh, so Wednesday night, we celebrated the, re- the, the crucifixion. This morning, we're so blessed uh, that there was a disturbance in the graveyard. A tremendous uproar, if you please, in the graveyard three days later. Verse 1 of Matthew 28 In the beginning, the Bible said, in the end of the Sabbath, if you sure Wednesday night, we studied quite in depth the Sabbath and uh, why the Sabbaths were given. And uh, we realized that the only one of the commandments, the fourth commandment, was the one that was not brought into the New Testament. It was a shadow of things to come and when Jesus Christ died the shadows all passed away and now we need not a day of rest because Christ is our rest. Amen. Amen. And so at the end of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher And behold, there was a great earthquake. Just a plain earthquake would have done it, I'm sure. But a great earthquake. I'm glad I wasn't a guard keeping that tomb that morning. And there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. Try to get a hold of that if you would please. His countenance, his appearance was like lightning. Think about that a minute. Would that shake you up a little? If I'd have been sitting there about half asleep guarding that tomb and the earth began to quake and the stone was rolled back and a guy sitting on that rock had countenance the appearance of lightning. (laughs) 
What a coincidence. And his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake, became as dead men. That's what you call scared stiff. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He's just not here. When the earth began to shake, God was testifying he's not here. When the rocks began to burst into pieces and rent into half, it was God saying he's not here. When the angel gathered his wings and spread out and began to come through the eons of time, down through eternity and set on the rock that rolled back. That was God saying he's not here. Well, where is he? If he's not here. Where is he? What are we doing here today? Why is this the only day you've come to church all year? Why is it you made time for him today? Is it because you got some little bunnies and eggs in your car? What's so special about today? It's not the earth, only earthquake that ever took place. Because when Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost, there was an earthquake. It's not the only time an angel has ever visited. What's so special about today. What interrupted your plans and have you here today? Could it be he's risen? Could it be he's not in the graveyard? Could it be that Christianity is the only religion that does not end in the graveyard? Could it be he's not in a tomb that we have to throw our penance and our coins in to try to get us a little bit safer, a little bit freer from purgatory? Could it be he's not here? He's risen. You know, Easter... And Christmas, among the many holidays that's listed on your calendar, are still the most celebrated days in all of your calendar year. Easter is mentioned in the Bible one time. In the book of Acts, chapter number 12 and verse 4, it talks about Easter. Easter comes from the history, the Anglo-Saxon name for a German goddess of spring and fertility. It's a word borrowed, if you would please, from a pagan holiday. Custom 
we've embraced in connection with Easter is eggs. I don't know what eggs has to do with rabbits. (laughs) Or rabbits has to do with the stone rolled away. But with the heathen and pagan holiday of Esther, the custom was that the Romans and the Egyptians on this pagan holiday gave gifts to one another to commemorate the pagan holiday that we've adopted. And along the way, Christians began to paint the eggs red to signify the blood of Christ. Now, there's all kinds of colors of eggs. And so, the customs that we've adopted to celebrate this Easter season are eggs and rabbits. Uh, Rabbits, I guess, I read the other day that rabbits were sacred to the German or the Germanic people. And they chose rabbits because Easter is always in the springtime. They commemorated the God of fertility. And what better animal? I'll let your imagination do the rest. Because rabbits are real good at producing rabbits. The pity is that most holidays like Christmas and Easter, their pagan customs have had more influence on lost sinners and Christians alike where that the customs of the pagan holidays have overpowered the principle of the holiday. You think about that just a little bit. Think about trees and lights and gifts and Santa Claus, colored eggs, rabbits, and egg hunts. That's what the two most famous holidays on our calendar commemorate. What a shame. They've taken preface over the birth of a Savior and the resurrection of a Redeemer. Someone has said Christmas is the promise, but Easter is the proof. Now you think about that just a moment. Christmas is the promise that a Savior, a Deliverer, God in the flesh is come. And for 33 and a half years, he preached and 
tried to prove that he was the one who was come. These things are written, the Bible said, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you might have eternal life. And for 33 and a half years, it was doubted. In 33 and a half years, it was mocked at. 33 and a half years, they rejected him. 33 and a half years, they nailed him on the cross, not believing the promise, but on the third day. We have the proof. The proof. I enjoyed Brother Andrew's teaching this morning on the theories. But let me talk to you this morning for just a minute about Easter is undoubtedly the proof. Notice, if you would please, I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Romans for just a moment. And I will just read you. Just a few verses. What did the Easter morning, when the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, the angel descended, heaven and earth shook, what did it prove? Number one, it proved that Jesus was who he said he was. It proved his person. Secondly, it proved his power. Truly, that old song, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And lastly, it proved his purpose. Watch this. Verse 1, Romans chapter number 1, to help you along, it's 16 minutes till 12. Don't mean a thing. It just shows you I know how to tell time. I finally figured out what the big hand and the little hand stood for. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the resurrection from the dead. Proclaimed, declared, to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. They finally figured out, when they found out the tomb was empty, and that the angel had come to proclaim the truth, that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. May I draw your attention back just three days earlier. That is not just an ordinary man hanging on that middle cross. Those two on the outside, those crooks, those connivers, those thieves, those dying, 
for what they have done. That one in the middle is dying for those on the outside because of what they had done. That is no mere man hanging on the cross in the middle. Oh, they beat him and he bled. They beat him and he felt the pain. They beat him and his figure was marred far beyond that of comprehension, if you please. Yes, he was a man, but he was the God-man. He was just as much God if he'd never been man, and just as much man if he'd never been God. You said, well, I can't figure that out. That ain't all you ain't got figured out. But on the resurrection morning, it helped everybody to figure that out. Because he proved his person. Here is God incarnate. God in the flesh. Spirit has taken on flesh. Spirit now no longer is intangible. Spirit now can be seen. Spirit now can be touched. Spirit can now be identified because of he, spirit, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And resurrection morning proved that. Proved it beyond any shadow of doubt. Notice in one verse, made of the sea of David. Notice that? Made. Made. That's what he said. It says, and made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. May I suggest to you that the seed of David died, but the Son of God arose. You like that? Flesh died, spirit came alive. Man, frail in all of his frailties, died. It is appointed unto every man wants to die. And you will die. If you don't believe me, just look in the mirror and see if you recognize that guy you used to know. Bend over and see how long it takes you to get back up. Some of you say, well, I can get up real good. Well, just stick around slick. That'll change. (laughs) And if it still works, it will start hurting eventually. I don't know if you know it, but you just breathe one breath closer to death. You're going there. All of us are going there. The seed of David always dies. But thank God, the Spirit of God quickens and makes alive that which was dead. And I'm glad for that. Amen. Notice, if you would please, declared to be the Son of God. In fact, if you will look in your Bible, Matthew 1 and 23... The Bible declared him, you shall call his name Emmanuel, and he shall be God with us. If you should look in Romans chapter 9 and verse 5, the Bible says he's called God blessed forever. 
That one that come out of that tomb is not just an ordinary man. He's God in the flesh. And he absolutely, when he walked into the graveyard and stepped out under his own power, he proved he was who he said he was. Andrew spent an hour this morning telling us who he was. Jesus spent just that much time, got up and walked out of that tomb proving who he was. The resurrection is the proof that he's who he was. Notice also in verse number four, the Bible said in Romans 1 and 4, declared to be the son of God with what? Somebody tell me. Power. Power. The way it's going in my life, I'm going to need power to get up in the morning because I haven't got enough power on my own. You say, is it fun getting old? It sure is. You just have to depend on God a whole lot more. Power. You know, you go through the Bible and you see Jesus raising other people from the dead. You see the apostles raising folks from the dead. But you know Jesus is the only one that ever raised himself. I wonder what it takes to do that. Power. Wonder. Working power. Think about that a minute. Nobody gave him artificial respiration. He just got up. Didn't need the stone rolled away. He walked out right through the rock. And you know why his clothes were laying there? Nobody wrapped them up and laid them there. When he got up, he got up right through his clothes. And they were laying just exactly like they were when he was laying in the tomb. The napkin that covered his head. Nobody folded up and laid it there. He just got up right through it. Walked right out of the rock. There must be something about that body different from the one he laid in the tomb. Now he can disappear at a moment or appear in another moment. He can make himself camouflaged even without going to academy. He can walk with two disciples and talk with them about the word of God and they never recognized who he is. It was there in the garden, if you please. He told the ladies, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father. It was just the next day. He said, now you can touch me. How far do you think it is to heaven? How long would it take you to get there and what would you leave in? Took him just a few minutes. Speed of light's 186,000 miles a second. You can get a ticket in Joshua if they could catch you. (laughs) Something kind of strange. He can go to heaven and be back in that amount of time. He can walk through brick. He can walk through rock. 
He can walk through walls where the disciples are meeting. Something strange about this dude. He said, I have power to lay it down. Didn't he say that? And have power to do what? Take it up again? Is that what he said? I said, is that what he said? Uh, did he say that he has power to lay it down, power to take it up? No man has power to take his life from him. He'll lay it down. He'll get it up. He's the one who said, Father, now I give up the ghost. Is anybody listening? He has that power. And the resurrection just absolutely, without any shadow of doubt, proves it. Resurrection power. Power, if you please, to raise a dead Savior. Power, if you please, to defeat Satan. Power, if you please, to defeat death. The most dreaded visitor to any home is death. Nobody in this place but dreads to see death, to reach into the living room and jerk out a familiar face, to eradicate a smile, to empty a chair, to vacate a place at the table. But when Jesus came out of that graveyard, he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. If Jesus were to walk into the graveyard, every body in that place would raise up in a mighty glee. Thank God we do not serve a God of death, but a God of life and a God of power. Thank God. The power, if you please. Resurrection power. Well, preacher, I've done things God can't save me from. Now that's when... A lot of friction hit a childish brain. I don't need to be saved. Well, that's good. How are you going to get out of the graveyard? I mean, just what string are you going to pull to get you to heaven? Well, I don't want to go to heaven. You know, I met a guy like that one time. I was hawking my golf clubs. You say, why? Because I played golf. And I found out that they need them down the hawk shop a lot more than I need them. That's back when I was young. And they wasn't paying me anything to pastor the church, so I had to hawk my golf clubs to buy biscuits for the kids. I walked into the hawk shop. And this little short, squatty-looking guy was there with a cigar this big sticking out of his mouth. I didn't know if he was sucking on the cigar or the cigar was sucking on him. And I told him, I said, I'd, I'd like to hock these golf clubs. He said to me, hey, preacher, why don't your God take care of you? I said, he did. He gave me the golf clubs. Now give me the money. I said, say, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, let me tell you something, preacher. I'd rather go to hell as to go to heaven with all you hypocrites. Now, ain't nobody ever told me that before. 
And so when in 101 didn't have that in the course. I'd rather go to hell than go to heaven, all you hypocrites. That's what he told me. Now I noticed he was smoking that big old cigar. So I said, do you have a cigarette lighter? He said, sure. I said, do you mind letting me borrow it? And it was one of them blowtorch kind. You know, you could turn aside and <laughs> flame shoot. You, you could kill everybody in the house of that thing. <laughs> and here he stands behind the counter making mock at me because I was hawking my golf clubs because I was broke. And I got that lighter and I turned that thing up to <laughs> singe degree. It was shooting out about that far. I just reached across the counter and grabbed his coat and started setting it on fire. He said words that I have not heard since that day. (laughs) He began to cuss, sling, spit, and said, you are crazy. I said, I know, but I'm not a liar like you are. You just told me you're going to go to hell when you hadn't got enough guts to stand your jacket on fire. (laughs) When your jacket gets on fire, what are you going to do? Because it is appointed unto every man, woman, boy, and girl to die. And the reason that Jesus died and was buried and arose the third day is to prove to you he was who he said he was and he has the power to forgive you of your sins and raise you up when you die, never to die again. The proof of the resurrection. The purpose, I close. You say, you kidding? Yeah. Don't take much. The purpose of the resurrection. Listen now, listen, listen, listen. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. If you somehow or another this morning could muster in your heart the belief the assurance that Easter is about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and not about rabbits and eggs and Easter egg hunts. Fine dressing. If you could muster in your heart and soul today to believe that tomb is empty and that angel knew what he was talking about when he said, he's not here, he's risen. If you believe that, you can Be saved. Don't mean you are saved. You can be saved. Next verse. For with the heart. Man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth. Confession is made. Unto salvation. Romans 10. 9 and 10. And 11. 4. Whosoever believeth in him 
shall not be ashamed. Not one disciple was ashamed of our Lord when he came out of that tomb. Every disciple died a martyr's death except one. Peter, who denied the Lord three times after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, said, I'll not deny him again. He was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord. For whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Are you listening? I close. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved? What's saved? Well, it's just the opposite of lost. And you don't have to be a theologian to realize it's a whole lot better to be saved than to be lost. I ask you in closing, when I do this, that means I'm closing. But I've got another one that's not closing. (laughs) I had four people going to sleep. I thought I needed to wake them up for just a minute. Listen to me. Are you saved? The reason our Lord went through all he did, the reason he became flesh and come here and die on the cross and be buried and raised again was that you might be saved. Did you know that? You said, nobody loves me. God loves you. And Jesus proved it when he died on Calvary's tree. God does not want anybody to go to hell. The Bible said he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The thing that would swell the heart of God today was if you would be saved. You say, well, preacher, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm glad that. But does God know you're saved? Is this the first time God's seen you all year? If God were to look for you next Sunday, would he look in church? Or would he look at a ball game? Or a bass boat? You say, you shouldn't have said that. You made me mad. Well, I didn't want you to miss everything. (laughs) Are you saved? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he died and spent three days and three nights entombed and in the heart of the earth. And on the third day, he raised, arose to prove to you and to me
that he could do what he said he could do.